Thanks, Aaron. It is so good to be here. It is a privilege to come over here to be with uh, God's people in Arkansas. So uh, we're, we're really excited. We're even more thrilled to hear that there was uh, food afterward because we love food. We feed our students uh, a lot at Oklahoma State, and uh, we're very thankful uh, to be over here to worship with you. Let me invite you now to open up your Bibles to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. I love in y'all's bulletin, in, your, uh, in the columns there, you have uh, an explanation of the service as you go through. And even someone who has gone through seminary and has been ordained I have learned how precious, precious it is to keep coming back to the very basics. What is preaching? It says here in your order of worship, the preaching of God's words is a means by which God bestows grace on His people. We did not make this up. It seems in the world's eyes there might be a lot better avenues to gather people's attention, to keep them focused, and to do all these other things. But God's means by which He would communicate to us, at least one of them would be the preaching of His Word. It is God's Word for you. And so with that in mind, let me implore you to keep your Bibles open because as I tell my students, who cares what I have to say? What matters is if the Word says it. Psalm 1 We'll read the entire psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish as I love to tell my students, I love to end God's reading with saying, this is the word of the Lord, and they say, thanks be to God. So, if you would indulge me, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for your word. It is amazing to think that here in Bentonville, Arkansas, in 2022, we have not just a copy, but copies of your word. Father, what an eternal privilege that you had ordained even before anything existed that we would hear you speak today. Would you help us to have that childlike faith, to be eager to hear from you? But Father, even when we're tired, when we're hurting, Give us just a little faith to hold on to your word. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I played football down at Tulane University. And uh, I remember one year, 
I was getting ready to go into uh, what would be my junior year on the field. I was coming off being the leading receiver, and I had been working very hard, and I was kind of seeing a possibility of a future uh, with football. And, but this particular year on the field, it was not going my way. And I got to a point where I remember saying something like this, and maybe you have too. I remember thinking about another teammate who was doing really well in the field, and here's what I prayed. Lord, why is he succeeding when he doesn't believe your word, but I do? Haven't I done what was necessary? Haven't I been the one who worked hard? You see, what was I essentially demanding of the Lord? He owes me because I've worked hard. I deserve to be blessed, not this other person. But what if the Lord was teaching me in that very season? What if he was teaching me the true way of being blessed? My friends, one of the most dangerous things that can happen to you and me is this, is that we let good things become ultimate things. We let good things like Success in a vocation or success in a relationship or success in academics or whatever it might be. Good things, but when good things become ultimate things, they become very dangerous things. If God loves you, he will do all that it takes to bring you to himself. And many times in our life, what it means is that he puts us through seasons where we realize that our idols will not do what only God can do. It's really easy to say that. It's not easy to go through that. You see, have you, have you ever felt this way of wondering who is blessed? Why am I not blessed? Have I not been the one who's been working hard and obeying and keeping God's word and taking a stand for the faith, but yet life is not going well? My friends, I wonder if that's what the Israelites felt with their covenant-keeping God. Oftentimes in their seasons of life when it seemed like things were not going well, what if God was actually bringing them into a season of blessing beyond their greatest imagination? The question really with this psalm is this, do you want to be blessed? Let's see what this psalm says. What is a blessed Life. Go back to verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This word in the Hebrew, when it says blessed, it is in the plural, which doesn't just mean you'll be blessed one time. It means blessing upon blessing. You know, it's almost as if the psalmist is saying, do you realize the limitless happiness that is in store for this person? Now notice this, blessed is the man, but then it immediately, how, how does scripture speak here? It goes immediately to the negative. Rather than starting with the positive, it goes first to the negative. So blessed is the man, but first off, what is the blessed man not? Well, first off, we see that blessing does not come with the removal of the wicked. You see that the blessed man is going to have to eventually come across the path of the wicked. My friends, 
You might be in a place, maybe you're in work, or maybe you're in a neighborhood or in a school or whatever it might be, and you might see a lot of unbelievers around you who are persecuting you or who are getting ready to persecute you. And you might be asking the question, how can God be blessing me in this moment? Welcome to the club, by the way. Get ready. Because God does not just remove the wicked from us this side of heaven, but despite its presence, he blesses us. I love, that's what Jesus himself says in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He's given all these blessings. But notice that one of them at the very end is talking about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That implies that the wicked are among you. What if this? What if God is getting ready to very much bless the American church today because of the rising persecution? Because maybe we'll finally say, let's get back to God's words rather than our words. See, when we think about a blessed life, we tend to think it means merely a life of ease or comfort. But what if God intentionally is using even our sin and the sins of others, our suffering and the suffering of others, what if he is using all that so that you will turn to his word? Look, my students know this about me. I'm a feedback preacher. I've been used to preaching in locker rooms and people who will, you know, I want to know if you're alive. What if God is using the things in your life right now to get you to cling to his word? Amen? It does not feel like it. Maybe you stumbled into church tonight and you have no idea why you are here and you're ready to give up on the faith because of how your life is going. Well, my friends, what if God has you exactly where he wants you so that with the smallest little bit of faith that you have, it might be actually exercised? What if God is blessing you by actually showing you your sin? What if he's blessing you by allowing Satan to harass you while he keeps him on a chain? What if he's getting ready to bless you by ordaining this period of suffering because it'll bring you to him. I've had students and plenty of other people tell me, and I've even thought myself, when we enter into these seasons of life that are difficult, we want to say, am I doing something wrong? See, here's what Satan loves to do. Satan loves to, to get us to go on a sin hunt rather than a grace hunt. Look, I'm from Alabama. Y'all can track with me on this, right? When you go deer hunting, you're in the stand, and what you're doing is that early in the morning when it's so quiet, it's so quiet that your ears are ringing, and any sort of rustling in the leaves is going to make your eyes look wherever it is because maybe there's a deer behind the bush. Every time we hear something, we look and we wait to see what is it. Now, here's what Essentially, the two options we have in life are we can either really focus on the sin or the grace. We can really focus on the bad or the ways that God is at work. What Satan loves to get us to do is to only focus on the bad, the weakness, the failure, the sin. And he loves to make us think that whenever we go through these seasons of life that are not comfortable, he loves to make us think, well, what did you do? My friends, it's not always that easy. We often can do this even with other people when they're in these seasons of life. 
And sometimes we can say, well, do they have enough faith? See, but if we take that same logic and apply it to the life of Jesus, that wouldn't work so well because Jesus was born into poverty. He was hated. He was despised. But no one was more blessed than Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the blessed man. I'm spoiling the sermon. I'm sorry. Yes, we drove three hours here to tell you the thing you already know. You see, why do faithful churches or faithful pastors or faithful Christians, why do they suffer affliction? They suffer affliction often because God is getting them to loosen their grip on their idols. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you that when you see your elders in one of these seasons, that you be like the friends of Moses who would help him hold his arms up in battle rather than look at him and say, why aren't you doing more? Can I say this? Can I be at liberty here because I am the guest preacher? Love your pastor well. It is not easy. It is lonely. He could always be doing more because he's not Jesus and he will not be Jesus to you. Only Jesus will. But my friends, he has come to deliver you the message of Jesus to you Help him to do so. Look at what the ways of the wicked are. I love the way the psalm is written. You see the, the downward progression here. Blessed is a man who walks not, who stands not, who sits not, essentially. It is, it is this downward progression. It's this slowing down. It's almost like this idea, like when you're walking in your neighborhood and you see when another road is about to merge into yours and, and you see someone walking there, you know, those, that kind of awkward moment where you're like, man, we're, gonna, we're like right on pace with each other and I don't know this person, what are we going to do? You got to decide whether you're going to keep walking or you're going to go the other way. You see, in life, we will naturally come upon the people who are the wicked, the sinners and the scoffers. The question is, what will we do? When it talks about walking, standing, and sitting, essentially the psalmist is saying that this covers every action of life. What does he mean when he says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked? It's kind of this picture like this. You're just chatting as you go along. You don't see it as that big of a deal to interact with the counsel, the wisdom, as it were, of the wicked. What does standing mean? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. It means to go from walking to stopping to get a little bit deeper with this person. Now you get to the point where you're trying to entertain this idea. Isn't that what can often happen on our phones? We can often be on our phones and say, I can entertain this picture for a little bit longer. But then we go from a place of walking to standing to sitting. Now, as sitting, we start to get serious about it, and it begins to be conceived in our affections. Maybe this is a little bit of a speculation. But I wonder if this is how Satan got Adam and Eve in the very beginning, as they were walking in the garden and then getting them to stand by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then getting them to sit in his ways. Speculation. But it is interesting because that's exactly how Satan gets all of us. He's subtle. 
You even look up after you've fallen into sin and you say, how in the world did I even get here? My friends, it's because we were not watchful. The church used to talk a lot about being watchful against our own hearts, against the ways of the world, and against Satan himself, because you're always being attacked by all three all at the same time, the world, the flesh, the devil. For us not to be watchful in the Christian life is for us to be the watchman on a tower, and as the enemies are approaching, we just stand there and we say, I wonder what they're going to do. They look, they look kind of angry. What do you think? I'll be fine. But that's what we do. I love what the Puritan Richard Rogers says. See to it that you who desire to walk with God in peace, that you look around to your steps and the various affections of your heart. Consider how you carry yourself and how you should endeavor to watch in all things. For you cannot please God in company or in solitude, in prosperity or in adversity, unless you are led by God's word to be wary and watchful. If you think that you are above sinning a certain sin, be careful. Satan often has a lot of us right where he wants us because we can think, I'm fine on my own. What does the blessed man do contrary to this? You see this incredible contrast in the psalm between the way of the wicked and the way of the blessed man, between the chaff and the tree. And you'll even see it going into Psalm 2, because Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are the two doors that enter into the rest of the psalms. If you want to understand the psalms, you need to understand Psalms 1 and 2. What is the blessed man? What does he do? Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Amen? His delight, his passion, his appetite. Now notice it's, this psalm is not primarily about what we need to do, but who we need to see. This psalm is more descriptive rather than prescriptive. You can get application from this, don't get me wrong, but it is first and foremost describing a certain blessed person rather than saying, now Christian, be better, let's pray. Because that's not the gospel, that's just the law. But what is the first description of this blessed man? Description number one, he, we see this blessed man sees that the law of God is his delight. We must always remember this, that it is not just what it says, but his delight is in the law. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh. Never detach God's law from God's person. That's how you end up in legalism. Never detach Christian ethics from Christ. The goal is him. We delight in the law of the Lord because we delight in the Lord of the law. You see, this is one of the things that we need to realize that this psalm is a good antidote to legalism and antinomianism. What is legalism? Legalism is separating God from the law and saying, well, I'm going to obey so I can be blessed. I don't really care much about God. He's going to owe me. God's just my genie. He's the Coke machine. I obey the law, put a quarter in, bang, I get a Coke out of it, right? 
What is antinomianism? Antinomianism, anti meaning not or against, nom, Greek word for law, against law. Antinomianism is, is the idea that, well, I can live however I want because God's gracious. He'll just forgive me. It doesn't really matter. I always think what's interesting about that is that the person who's saying, well, I can live however I want, they're still obeying a law. You see that? It's just the law of self. They're both law. And the problem is that they've forgotten the Lord of law. To delight in God's law means to delight in God. And let me remind you, that means this. Just because you know about theology does not mean you delight in the God of theology. Description number two, the blessed man, is that the law of God is his meditation. This word meditate means to groan or to growl. It's not that, that inner peace that we often are obsessed with today. But rather, this word for meditate, it means inward wrestling. It's kind of like the picture of Jacob in Genesis 32 where it's like, it's, it's like UFC. I mean, Jacob's hip gets popped out of socket. Meditating on God's word, it means to take God's word seriously. It means, brothers and sisters, not merely to be just an outward Christian or just an intellectual Christian, but to know Christ. But it also means this. It does not mean, well, I just need to get in the feels, and as long as I just feel good, then I'm a mature Christian, but then you never study doctrine. My friends, you need both. You need light and heat, not either or. Delighting in God's law means studying who God is, but applying it to your life. I try to tell my students at Oklahoma State, the most important thing about your life is your theology and your real theology. We do this in premarital counseling all the time. I tell this couple, I say, look, the most practical thing about your marriage is going to be your theology. The blessed person is someone who loves to meditate on God's law because they know it's the most practical thing. Notice this. Notice that the blessed man is, is not this, but his delight is in observing himself. We love the self today because what I need to do most in today's world, I need to love myself because no, one's, no one else is going to love me like I love me. And if I have low self-esteem, I just need to love myself more. You see the problem there with all of that. The problem is too much self. I wonder what might happen if we took Robert Murray McShane's quote seriously when he says, for everyone, look at your, yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. I wonder how many problems that might just naturally solve. Brothers and sisters, the blessed person is not someone who ignores themselves but they know that they are a creature made by a creator. You are someone who is drawn to God more than yourself. One of the best things, Luther used to talk about this, what God does in the life of the Christian is that he takes us out of ourself. I think it's interesting at times when I've, I've noticed through the years in youth ministry and college ministry, that as students got older, they had less people pouring into them because it began to be their time to pour into other people. 
But simultaneously, it was also the same time where they began to say, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore. You want to know why? Is because they were too selfish. And they thought that they needed to be the center of attention rather than saying, it's your time to serve. The delight and the meditation is in God's law. I love this because... I don't know if y'all knew this. Uh, sometimes I got to remind myself. Uh, they didn't have these things back then. Y'all, dude, this is a, it's an iPhone. It's a phone. They didn't have that back then. They didn't have this hard copy, boom, in everyone's hand back then. Um, why do I say that, frankly, um, with a little bit of sarcastic humor? Because we often think today in the Christian life that it's just a me and God thing. But rather, if they were going to meditate on the law of God, it had to be in community. Do you realize that private devotions stem from corporate worship, not the other way around? The most important thing to the Christian life is corporate worship that then overflows into private devotion. And the order of that matters. It means this, that if you are going to be a blessed person, it is not you ignoring what anyone else thinks about God's Word, not just today, but even throughout history. It is you amidst God's covenant community of people, and you are learning from each other as you pour over God's Word. Amen? You cannot be blessed without people. Third description of the blessed man. Not only is... The law of God, his delight. The law of God is his meditation. But thirdly, the law of God is meditated on day and night. It's like the saying when we say something from alpha to omega, from A to Z. It'd be certainly nothing less than day and night, but it it means also more. It means the lifestyle. There's a Latin phrase for this called corum deo meaning life in the presence of God. What this psalmist is talking about here is a quorum Deo is a great way to describe that. It means this, the blessed person is not a Sunday-only Christian. God is not a hobby. God is not your social media profile information, and that's it. He's not your resume booster. He's not your, your just job application success. He's not your social media post-religion, as long as you just post that Bible verse each week. The blessed person is someone who is always living before God's face. When you see them at home, you'll get that same person at their job. When you see that person playing with children, you'll get them in the same conversation when there are serious things to talk about, because Always in every situation, they are someone who is gripped by God. Doesn't this make you look at your life and say, I'm doing great, right? It should overwhelm us because what we're beginning to see, yes, I'm spoiling the sermon like what too many people do with movies you haven't seen, but it is leading to the true blessed man, amen? None of us are blessed in and of ourselves. We need the blessed one. But what does a blessed life look like? 
Look at verse 3. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. What does a blessed life look like? The blessed life looks like a tree. Isn't that a great picture? Aren't you just like, isn't Scripture beautiful? I remember one of my seminary professors, his name is uh, Mike McKelvey, and he's an Old Testament professor, and he, he would just read things, and the way he would explain it, he would just sit back and be like, God, Scripture's awesome. And I'd be like, man, it's, it puts the all in awesome, right? It's, I'm, I'm facing a rabbit trail. But there is beauty here in the way it describes the Christian life. Beauty in such a way that should remind you of the Garden of Eden. A tree. It's the same Hebrew word that describes the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, and no doubt the Garden of Eden 2.0 in Revelation 21 and 22. Isn't it interesting, isn't it purposeful that Jesus, the truly blessed one, would take the curse of God also on a tree? What is this tree like? It is planted by streams of water. Not a stream of water, streams of water. Multiple is implying this, that there is no lack for this tree, even though it might feel like it in seasons. But God will provide, amen? He will give you what you need. I love this picture of streams of water because the Old Testament will, will talk about water uh, symbolically as we see it, especially in Ezekiel, how water flowed from the presence of God from his throne to irrigate the earth and to make it new. The New Testament will also pick this up as you remember when Jesus died and to confirm his death, one of the soldiers took a spear and thrust it into his side and when he pulled it out, what came out? Blood and water. That was not merely to confirm Jesus' death, but also to show that he is the presence of God. Water is renewing. Water is refreshing. Water gives life. The blessed man is someone who receives life. You see, one of the things we need to remember about the blessed person is that we are fed by the presence of God no matter what season of life it is. You see, brothers and sisters, this is why we have to remember in our very subjective age, in our day and age where everything is based on how we feel, where my emotions are, you have to remember that your reality, your standing with Christ is not based on your emotions, but on God's Word. Your emotions are affected by the fall, which means you cannot always trust them to tell the full truth. There are times they can line up with what's really going on, but oftentimes our emotions can lead us astray. You don't always feel forgiven. You don't always feel like a child of God. You don't always feel justified, but my friends, God's word declares that it is true. It is your reality if you're in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Because some of you can get in these seasons, as Martin Lloyd-Jones used to talk about, this spiritual depression, or this cool German word I love to use by Martin Luther, this 
as my wife is laughing at me now, so do my students, Anfektungen. It is this grinding sense in your conscience of feeling utterly lost. But what is so amazing about God's Word is that we can come back here, and no matter if we feel dry or if we feel fruitful, God's Word is always telling me the truth about who I am. Amen? That's how you get assurance of salvation. You see, back in those times, they did not refer to the seasons in fall, winter, spring, summer, but the seasons were rainy seasons and dry seasons. And so when it says that it would yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, it means this, that no matter what season it is of life, you will bear fruit. God will provide. Life will not run out of you. I do think this is amazing because sometimes we can be in seasons where we do feel dry or there is little excitement or there is little energy. And my friends, take heart because what if God has you there because he is blessing you? You realize that sometimes God will withdraw the affections from us, not necessarily because we sin, but to keep us from idolizing the affections themselves. We see this all the time in college towns of certain churches in the area where they can really stir students into excitement and it feels like it's something, but it's merely just excitement. And then there are other students who, they are genuinely walking with the Lord, but they don't feel that. And they're wondering, am I not a mature Christian? But my friends, oftentimes the Lord will withdraw assurance of salvation from us at times so that we will not rest in our emotions but rest in His Word and that is what matures you. We need to really remember that today. God is saying at the same time, not only is this person going to yield fruit but it says, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel. I guess in a way it would be, but let me, let me describe you what the real prosperity gospel is, as it were. It's not in the sense that, well, when you're a Christian, you will have financial prospering all the time, circumstantial pro prospering all the time, emotional prospering or relational prospering. Maybe you've even heard this. Maybe some of you have been like my mother and you've gone through some really bad health issues and someone has come up to you and said, well, if you just had more faith, my friends, that is the sinful sense of the prosperity gospel. But the true biblical prosperity gospel is that even when you're in those seasons, God is prospering you. Amen? Especially when you don't feel it. Maybe you're in a season where you're just seeing how sinful you really are. Which, by the way, we never will see how simple we really are because it would massively overwhelm us and God's having his own timing with us. So cheer up, you're worse than you think. But there are seasons of life when he really shows us our sin, but we have to remember one of the uses of God's law. Why does he show us our sin? To lead us to the Savior of sinners. Amen? My friends... What if you feel so overwhelmed because God is making a pathway for you to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
It is interesting because the same word for prospering is used in Isaiah 52, verse 13, where it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely, or more accurately in the Hebrew, Behold, my servant shall prosper. And then it goes on to describe that prospering, and it says everything in his life goes right. That's what Isaiah 53 will say, right? Everything's good. He has a great resume. His life was super comfortable. No, it says he'd be crushed. You see, primarily and always spiritual prospering, it will always come to us, but sometimes it will come to us when it seems like everything else is going wrong. And isn't that what makes sense of so many other psalms, brothers and sisters? Have you not turned to other psalms before and you said, why are they complaining so much? Welcome to the Christian life. But God knows how to bring us in our individual lives, but in seasons that might mirror each other, he knows how to bring us to him. Listen to me. If God loves you, he will do all that it takes to bring you to himself. He will do it. Sometimes it's like the life of Jonah, and you feel like you're going to drown. But if God loves you, he will do all that it takes to bring you to himself. See, the blessed life is like a tree, but it's not like chaff. The picture here is you would have chaff and you would have grain in one pile, and in order to separate them, you would take a pitchfork and you would scoop up a, scoop up a load, as it were, and you'd throw it up into the air when it was a windy day on a hill. Here's what would happen. As you would throw it up in the air, the chaff, which would be weightless, would be blown away, and the grain, which would be weighty, would fall down. That's how you would separate the chaff from the grain. You see, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, those who, as you see in Psalm 2, who, who reject the Lord, who rage against God, who plot in vain, it seems like their ways are weighty. Do we not see that in the world today? Do we not see the, the things and the schemes and the ethics that are being promoted as somehow ethical? Do we not see this that it seems like they're getting their way? But my friends, we have to remember that all ways of ungodliness are chaff. It will be blown away. Their counsel, their ways, their plots, it will soon be shown to be weightless. And who blows them away? It says the wind, but we also know this. In the Old Testament, that's why I love the Bible, it's amazing. In the Old Testament, wind is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit will have his way. And no matter what is approached to you, when it is an ungodly way, it will be soon to be shown to be weightless. You see, whatever ethics, whatever laws, whatever finances or influence or agendas or jobs or friends or security, whatever it might be, if it is an ungodly way, it will eventually be shown to be weightless. But don't you think God's people would often look at the world and with Psalm 73 and say, but it looks like they're prospering and I'm not. Maybe some of you are 
very much in that position. It seems like they're the ones prospering, but we're not. But my friends, maybe some of us need to be encouraged by the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata has a worldwide ministry right now called Johnny and Friends, which is a very gospel-centered, gospel-saturated ministry for those with special needs. But that ministry did not start until after Johnny Erickson Tata was paralyzed from the neck down. Maybe you might be in a situation where you say, I have no clue how God can redeem me from this. Maybe you're in a situation where you're like the Israelites and you're trapped between the Red Sea and Egypt's army and you say, it's too late. God can't bring anything good out of this. But maybe that's exactly where God wants you so that you can see that only he can do it. See, it was after Jacob's hip was popped out of socket that he walked ahead of his family to lead them It was after Samson had sinned with Delilah and been convicted of his sin that then God would mightily use him to defeat his enemies. It was after Daniel was in exile that he would give wisdom to foreigners. It was after Jonah was brought to the end of himself that he would understand the grace of God. It was also after Jesus Christ was crucified and risen that the church spread worldwide. My friends, what does it mean to be blessed? It's very different from what the world says. But God's word is telling you that no matter what season you are in, when you are upon his word, you will be blessed. Obviously, it begs this question, who is the blessed man? Because in verse 1 it says, blessed is the man. It is accurately saying the man is using this Hebrew word ish, which is a single individual but it's a single individual who would act as a representative. Who is this blessed man? It is Jesus Christ. Where Adam, who was supposed to be the covenant, or who is the covenant representative of of all humanity, he was the one who entered into the covenant with God, the covenant of works, and God said, if you obey me, you will prosper. And Adam did great, didn't he? He did really good. No, he didn't. He sinned. And so in order to be prospered by God, in order to receive the covenant blessings, there must be a second Adam. That's what Paul says in Romans 5. So that now it is this, you are either in covenant with God based on Adam being your father or Jesus being your father, as it were. Adam being the head of the covenant or Jesus being the head of the covenant. One, you will receive cursing. The other, you will receive blessing. Because it is Jesus and no one else who was truly the blessed man. It was Jesus who walked in God's counsels even amidst Satan's temptations. It was Jesus who stood in the way of God's commandments rather than man's wickedness. It was Jesus who sat in the seat of God's word regardless of whether or not he would be persecuted. And it was Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Galatians 3.13, who was cursed and who was condemned on a tree. Why? Because he loved you so much that he was determined to bless you. And that when you get Jesus, you get blessing. Amen? 
Brothers and sisters, you are invited, even more than invited, you are commanded by God Almighty to believe in his word. And when you do, not when you clean your life up, but when you do right now, in Christ you will be blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're asking that in your divine mercy that you would stir our hearts up to have right and true affections for you. But even when we do not always feel that, maybe when we feel those dry seasons, that we would still look to you and your word, knowing that Christ, the true blessed one, that he is ours and we are his. And we ask all this in his glorious name. Amen.